This morning, I'm going to be preaching out of Philippians 4. I'm going to ask if we can just get the first scripture up, please, in the interim, and just leave it up there to start off with. But uh, I'm titling this talk, The Strong Encouragement to the Church. And what I would like us to picture this morning is what God wants us to look like, what He expects of you and I as Christ followers. And I want to say this morning, there may be people here this morning that uh, don't know Jesus personally, have never come into a personal relationship with Him, uh, there will be opportunity to the end of the meeting for you to respond and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I just want to put that out there as a disclaimer from the outset, because God brings you here, and I don't understand how it all works, other than the fact that the Holy Spirit draws people, people will respond to invites, etc. And, and, and it's those precious moments that God allows you to hear the good news of Jesus and, and then what we do as a church, we are trying to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. As we sit here, we are all equal in value, we just differ in function, but each one of you has been called onto the playing field to be used by God to serve His purposes. And so, in that, it's, it's not reasonable for us to expect an unsaved person to operate like a saved person. But it is possible that the unsaved person could live out all of these principles and not be saved. And so then that's just works of the flesh. We're not even moved by God. And I think for many of us have probably found ourselves at some point in that space um, living there. So I want us to have a picture of what the church could look like if we apply the Word of God correctly. And uh, I want you to please know, when I preach this message, I'm first in line to say to you, I fail sometimes so dismally at this. All right. And it's, it's the, the thing is, if I'm left to my own accord, I will probably fall the way of the world. That's why I'm so grateful for the local church. I'm so grateful for the body of Christ. I'm so grateful for our leadership team, our eldership team, and the greater Josh Jen story. I'm so grateful and thankful that we have apostolic oversight in the church. And it's important for us because that's what helps us stay the course. We need one another. Despite what some of us might think, you need one another at the end of the day. So I, I was thinking, I, I, as I said, I've titled this The Strong Encouragement to the Church. I actually had a title as There's a Perfect Storm Brewing. <laughs> And I've changed it, but actually, I'm going to keep it at, as, as it is, but I want us to look at this text, and I want us to look at our lives and where we are finding ourselves at the moment, even with the prophetic words that have come out this morning. You know, when Paul writes this letter, do you know where he is? He's actually in jail. And if you read this letter, and you see the heart that he writes with, I wonder how many of us would be able to have the same kind of heart in difficult situations. And this is what he's doing. And, and, and this is what a good leader does. This is what Paul as an apostolic leader does. Is He comes and he strengthens and he encourages and he builds the church up. And he's building up individuals. He's building up couples. He's building up families. And if we collectively in our individualness are being built up, imagine what the bride of Christ could look like if we embrace this. So we are in this canoe together this morning, paddling downstream, and God is speaking to the church. Elmo, 
I'm going to ask you, can I go back to the 2 Peter 1 scripture? I'm going to come back into that. Sorry, I, I, I just realized I needed to go there. So 2 Peter 1 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about the, by the prophet's own interpretation. What this is speaking of, when we read scripture, this is God's word to us. It's a prophetic word being released. And this is God's desired preferred future when we look at prophecy, the prophetic. And then it goes on, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. This is not man's good idea. This is not a well-written book by a man with a self-help manual. This is a God-breathed book. And it goes on and it says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I do believe that's important for us as a congregation is how we read the word, how we interpret the word, and what we do with the word. We need to be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, which I believe we are, and we need to be a people that are word-based, which I believe is what we are. And I want to say to us as a people, when we read the scriptures, put everything in context. You don't want to move scripture and twist scripture to suit your circumstances. The minute we do that, we are... We are actually nulling and voiding what God's word intended, and we're actually living in sin. And so I also want to say this. There's black, there's white, and there's gray. There's certain things that we major on that are non-negotiable. In who Jesus is, the doctrine of the church, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, doctrine of Jesus, doctrine of the Father, and the list goes on. There's certain things we will not negotiate on here. Then there are other things that we, we interpret and we understand and we say, okay, Lord, this is what your word says here. We've got black, non-negotiable, we've got white. This is what the word is saying about a thing. For example, let's just take it on, on giving. We heard that this morning. So the Bible teaches a lot about money. It's amazing when we talk about money how easily people get offended. I'm not pushing for anything here. Um, all I'm saying is there are certain things that we will touch on and then what will happen is people can get offended. So I've got to ask the question, would you like us to take stuff out of the Bible regarding money? Would you like us to take stuff out with regards to what the Bible says about marriage? Those are the kind of things that we need to start looking at. How we raise families, all of those things. And then the gray is parts that we don't necessarily understand. And prophecy, the Bible says, we will always see in part. Is that okay? So I want to stir up our hearts in this area. So as the word gets preached here this morning, I want you not to see the man. Can you listen to the voice of God coming through? I'm an imperfect being, and I am fallible. I make mistakes. But one thing I do know, God doesn't make mistakes, and he can move in, and he can move through me. If my misinterpretation of Scripture comes through, I will be corrected by my elders. I will be corrected by the greater eldership team. But I want us to listen, not with a critical ear of the person. I want us to listen with the heart of, Lord, what are you saying to me? All right. And so we can put that first scripture back on. So the heart of Paul is one of encouragement. And so let's read what he says. Therefore, my brothers... He's not being sexist yet. He's actually including the ladies here. I just want to put that out there. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. 
dear friends, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntetic to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to, the, to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I've tried to read that to you. And when you read your Bible, you need to read it in the context of how Paul is writing it. I don't know. You know, I, I, I love a statement that I heard from a friend of mine once. I, I get a message. Ants, I really love you. And I like the church, but I've decided to leave. Boom. What's up comes through. And a friend of mine once said, he says, you know, technology is a wonderful thing, but it makes a coward of many. The problem is I don't know the heart sometimes when these messages come through. What I'm trying, the point I'm trying to get this morning is when you read the Bible, ask the Lord to show you what was the heart when Paul wrote this message to the church. I'm trying to read it from the perspective of a man who hunted down Christians and separated families. And I'm trying to read it from a man's heart whose life has been touched and changed by Jesus Christ. We sang about his power. And it's only by the power that a man's heart and life can be touched and changed. And that he would have compassion and empathy for the people of God. And he's writing with a heart of, I've got something that will help you in this journey. There's a care. There's a concern. And anybody who has a care and a concern is always wanting to blow wind into other sails and is encouraging. In fact, the title in my Bible actually speaks of exhortations. That word exhort means, or to exhort, means to strongly urge. It's a strong encouragement. Imagine what the church could look like if we lived in that space. We're a people that strongly urge others and encourage others in the things of God. And so with that this morning, Paul writes from prison. He's in a difficult situation. I don't know every single one of your situations that you're facing. But whatever your situation is, I want to say to you, your life can count for God if you're ready to make yourself available, despite your circumstances and situations. Because sometimes we feel we've got to get our stuff right first before we can help others. Can I say to you, yes, get your stuff. Work on your stuff while you're walking with one another. Lord, I need your help. But at the same time, I'm walking with my brothers and my sisters here. It's a powerful moment that God wants to bring into the church. And your life can count. You might be sitting there thinking, well, who am I? Well, actually, yes, who am I? I include myself in this. I'm just a vessel that's available to be used by God. And I want to tell you something. God can do extraordinary things with ordinary people if they avail themselves. And the, the proof is in the pudding when you look at Paul's life. And so the scripture 
um, is, is very powerful because I think God is calling the church to a space of more. And so when the scripture comes up and it says, you are our joy and our crown, when I look across this congregation, I think I put myself in the heart and life of Paul, and I look at it and I see the men and women of what God has done in people's lives, how he's touched families, how he's changed individuals' lives. That is my joy. That's the privilege that I get to enjoy because of what God has done in us and through us. We're not special. We're not separated. But what a joy it is to see how God has changed people's lives. Uh, Alzana, and I look at her, and I see how God has brought her into the body. And we see Estelle who's come in to partnership, and people's lives just being wonderfully drawn into a place that they see serving the purposes of God. I can see some of the children that have, that have at one point were so insecure. Hear me when I say this, so insecure. And what happens is they come in and our little kids are standing up here and they're worshiping. I love it. I'll never forget that story. They're worshiping. And, and little Matthew standing there with his leg next to Lee. What a joy. But you know a crown a crown is useless if it's put in a box. The crown is something on display. And for me as a leader, I look at this, and it's not me. Jesus is building his church. But what a privilege when we look at it and we say, Lord, this is our joy and our crown. When I see my brothers and sisters and people that I'm walking with, how you've touched their lives, and there's something on display. It's spectacular. What a beautiful place. What a beautiful moment to enjoy these moments together. So Paul writes, and he gives us some very practical handles, how you should stand, how you should stand firm. And you know, uh, there's many things that we can take out of this, but I'm going to highlight. I think, let me tell you how many points I've got here. I've got 1,000. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I've got a few points here. So how do we stand firm in this story? How do we stand firm and we take the scripture and apply it to our lives? Firstly, when you stand firm, Satan must flee. He, 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 cannot, he cannot contend with a Christian who stands firm and loves the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about standing firm of, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, devil, you will flee. In the flesh, you're standing firm. This is something that has to happen supernaturally, by, that you're moved by the power of God to say, Lord, I need to stand firm, I need your help, because by standing firm, the devil must flee. He doesn't want to contend with you. He's not contending with you per se. He's actually contending with Jesus in you. So he doesn't want to hang around with you. So we need to understand our need for Jesus and the way we live our lives and start to get a grip on this. And I'm saying this again, church. I don't get this right all the time. And so God uses life circumstances to teach us these things. So we don't do this in our own strength. We do this with the help of God. And so as a Christian, we need to learn to stand firm. Can you say stand firm? Right, the first one. Next thing is guard your relationships. You'll see here, it says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntetic to agree with each other. Can you believe it that in the church there were problems? Can you They actually had issues with one another. There must be something wrong in the church if the church people have issues with each other. 
Hulle skel op mekaar, and they don't want to talk to each other, and they sulk, and they walk past each other. Have you ever experienced that here? I haven't. Nah. We have issues with one another. The funny thing is, God brings you into a body, and you know what? You don't get the choice of your brother and sister. Your friends you can choose, but your brothers and sister in Christ, you can't choose. And the Bible says, as, sh- as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another. God brings people into this body, and he will crop in your sly. In other words, if you're not English, he will scratch in your salad. All right? And he's going to make it uncomfortable. But I want to ask a question here. And don't raise your hands, but there are some of you who have had an encounter with me through issues that I've needed to deal with in your life. And I think I've been very loving with those things. But I want to ask you, are you better off today looking at some of those things when you've had to make the adjustments? Because the heart of a leader is never to hurt you. If I make a mistake, I'll own it and I'll apologize. But we're going to crop each other. We're going to scratch each other. We're going to get in each other's faces at times. And, and it might not be with the leadership. It might be in your comm group. It might be on a worship team. It might be in the children's church thing. Uh, I, I don't know what that looks like. It could be parents with each other because your child did this or my child did that or whatever the story might be. Or I spilled hot coffee all over you. I don't know. The point is, guard your relationships. Settle your differences quickly. Let me tell you why. Because if you don't, you give Satan a foothold at your table. You're inviting him into your table. And you're inviting that an open, open door comes in and he will destroy you. And you will fall away from the church. Guaranteed. I have seen this. Some of us need to repent. We need to get over the stuff. Be quick to apologize. Sort your stuff out and move on. And love. And let me tell you something. How do you know when you're forgiven? How do you know when, when it's all settled? Is when You might not become best friends with the person. But you can still lovingly talk to the person and walk past them and there's no crapping in your heart. Is that okay? Okay, let's end there. <laughs> Next point. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh my hat. This is a big one. Paul was in jail when he wrote this. This rejoicing in the Lord is not Paul singing, oh, it's so lucky to be in jail and I'm having water and dry bread. There's no butter, peanut butter or marmite. This is so cool, God. Thank you for this. No, this joy is an inner tranquility and an inner peace that comes amidst your circumstances. And I want to tell you something as a leader of this congregation. This thing grates me. I remember my little dog, Marley. He was this tiny, and if you put a chain around him, he would jump and spin and wee and do everything. He hated this thing on him, so I took him for lessons. And um, the, the dog owner took him, uh, the trainer took him and said to him, so this is what he does. I said, yeah. He says, okay, give me the chain. And he just started to walk with Marley. And this poor dog was being dragged all over the place, weeing and screaming and doing everything. As he took it through long grass like this, through the mole hills, 50 meters, turned him around and walked him back. And he gave me the thing. He said, right, now you do exactly the same. And by the time we were finished with everything, at the end of that session, I remember standing with Marley, and I said to him, Marley, sit. And he sat. <laughs> and I looked up, and I'm not kidding when I say this. I looked at the Lord, and I said, Lord, were you training the dog, or were you training me? <laughs> Why am I saying this? Listen, whatever your situation is right now, what is God doing? What is he exposing? What does he, he want to deal with in your heart? Can you rejoice in the Lord?
despite what you're facing. Because let me tell you something. If we take what Paul is writing here and we apply it to our lives, that no matter what we are going through, men and women around us who are broken, who are lost, who are crashing in this world, will be inspired and encouraged by you because you're going to give them hope. Because we know the God that we serve. I love it when we look at this whole thing. Can we get Habakkuk 3, please, put up? Look at the prophet Habakkuk writes. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. If we can go to James 1 verses 2, please. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why is this scripture important for us this morning? Because I want to say to you, if you're living a life where it's cushy and you think nothing is happening, I want to say to you, maybe just start to prepare for the storm. Get into this scripture because it's coming. Because you see, God never leaves us in a place where he's not going to work with us. And when you are in a storm and when you're facing issues, I think God is calling the church to have a very different approach. And I'm saying that to us collectively because I'm the weakest probably in this area because I, I'm very uh, emotional with stuff like this. But God calls us into a place that, that he wants to change us and he wants to fashion us. And those words that came through this morning, let me say to you this morning, if you think your money is going to buy you happiness and success and your salvation... Go and read Psalm 49. God is not opposed to you making money. And I'm dealing with something in the Durbanville area. God is not opposed to you making money. But what you do with it becomes important. Live life generously. Live serving the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you to be short in those areas. But don't make money be a God for you. And so what happens is, when we find ourselves in these situations, God will put us through the trials. We will get tempted by Satan. We'll be tested by God. And the purpose of it is so that we can grow in our faith journey. The next point is, be gentle towards one another. Man, some of us just need to learn to be gentle. People are fragile. People are fragile. Just learn to be kind in nature towards people. Just be considerate. You know, sometimes, I think as Christians, we can be really unwise with the unsaved people. I don't know if somebody's lost their mother or their father or there's been some kind of a tragedy. And then we, we sit there and we, and we are so unwise. Learn in your gentleness to understand where people are at, what their life story is, so that when you are working with people, you can be more gentle when you bring stuff in. And that's one of the weaknesses, I think, in the church as a whole, is we don't learn to get to know people well and their circumstances and their understanding. It doesn't mean that we bend scriptures to accommodate that, but if we have an understanding of where people are at, we might understand that there might be, in their minds, a legitimate reason to be angry with God, because maybe one of their wives or daughters, or the wife or the daughter, was killed or raped or something along those lines, because we have very volatile scenarios in our country. Learn to be gentle. Learn to be sensitive with where people are at. God can heal and, and restore. The next thing is, don't be anxious. And many of us, I think, will find ourselves in this place. 
Anxiousness speaks about being uneasy, nervous, restless. Let me say to you, being anxious is about being self-centered. It's about, what about me? What about me? It's all about I, me, myself, that holy trinity. And God wants you and I to live in a place that we would let go of the worries of this world. And you know what the Lord showed me yesterday morning as I was worshiping? I haven't done so much crying like I've done in the last two days. My daughter leaving and just some scenarios we've had to go through. But I felt the Lord say to me, and as, as I was worshiping and just listening to music, I felt the Lord say to me as I was in my mind saying, Oh Lord, please be with my daughter. I just felt the Lord say to me, Ants, you need to let things go. And my daughter leaving wasn't just about her leaving us. It was about my whole life. There are things that I've had to process. And he's just saying, you need to let them go. Let it go. And you've got to trust God in these things. Don't be anxious. Will you serve God regardless? Will you love Jesus regardless? your business folds, if you lose all your money, if, you, if your health goes wrong, will you love Jesus regardless? Will you still come to church? Well done for pitching up here today. Not for my sake, but for your own. Because you know what? We are so used to in this country, the weather rains, we stay at home. But people, and I was reminded this morning as I was driving here, ants, people in Madagascar travel 50 kilometers, which will take them two hours, two and a half hours to go from where they stay to be at a church meeting. Well done this morning. Really, I want to honor you guys. Great effort. This is what God calls for us. But we don't, we must not be anxious about anything. Go and read Matthew 6 around worry. So how do we deal with this anxiousness? Good question, Dimble. I love this. The antidote to anxiousness is three things that Paul writes here. He says, number one, pray. Speak to God. Who do you run to? Google God? YouTube, to your friends, your family. No, no, take your stuff to God first. Secondly, he says, bring your petition. What does that mean? Put out there your cares, your concerns. What is troubling you? What you're looking for? What you're trusting God for? We need to live in that space. And uh, we need to put everything on the table before him. If you were playing cards, many of us, when we play cards, when we play Uno, who all plays Uno like this? We hide everything, eh? By the way, I'm a Uno king, eh? I must just tell you. We got some rules in our game. I pile my cards up, and then we've got some rules where if you put down a zero, the cards must move to the right. Um, or if you put down a seven, you can pick anybody else's card. So what I love doing, I don't play to win. I play to watch everybody else because I will pile my hand up, and Lee will tell you she'll be going, Uno, and she's got the one card, and I put down a seven. I'll say, thank you very much, and I'll have her card, and I give her that. And I don't have to play out. I keep piling it on. And then we put down a zero, and it goes around. What am I trying to get at? Put your cards on the table before the Lord. Don't sit like this. It's not cool. All right, put your cards on the table. Then thirdly, thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Remember the God of the Bible and your own experiences with the Lord. So how do you get rid of anxiousness? Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. And in that thanksgiving, thank God for all that he's done in your life. As we do this, then the peace that God brings will come and will go beyond our human understanding. That's what we're trusting for. 
that peace is not a psychological state of mind of like where we get into this thing of, well, I'm now peaceful. I'm emptying my mind. No, it's, Lord, I trust your word. I've battled in this area, but I trust your word. This is what you say. I need to pray, bring my stuff to you. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. I remember all that you've done in my life. And then peace will come as a result of that. The next thing is guard your hearts as you serve the Lord in this area. I want to say to you, part of our journey, guarding your hearts, is when things go wrong, a little bit awry, it's a difficult place for us to guard our hearts. Would you agree? I find it difficult. So what I've had to learn in this area and how I've had to learn to navigate this is when I'm hurt or I'm let down, disappointed, or things don't quite work out the way that I've intended, I've had to learn to guard my heart and say, Lord, I don't understand this. This is very, very difficult for me. And I need to keep my heart and my mind pure. How I sometimes work out things. I argue in my head. I have massive court cases. It's terrible. And I never lose. Um, but the problem is that's a dangerous place to be. Because what happens is it's the flesh that's working. And we've got we've to lay that thing down. So what I can control is my response to a situation. It does not mean that it negates the responsibility of the people or person that puts me in a space that becomes hurtful. That's going to be the thing they give an account for. Don't be vengeful. Sometimes we might have to go and address things and we do it lovingly because they might not even know that they're hurting you. That's what will keep our relationships together. But we guard our hearts. We do everything with love. And we always work to a place of reconciliation. That is the heart of God. If we get this right, I'm telling you now, peace will come over your heart and your mind. And as I start to land, how we think about God is vital. You know, Paul writes, he says, think about that which is good. Think about that which is heavenly. Those things are the, the things that we should giving ourselves to. Because the problem is if we look at our thought life and we let our thought life govern ourselves, we will find our Christian walk a very difficult place to be. And we get caught up in circumstances and situations, and that can often impact our thought life. And Paul is saying, I want you to move away from them. And I want us as a church to be in a space. I want to ask the question is, how do you really feel about God? How do you really feel about Jesus? What is your genuine conviction about him? When you are in a tough situation, what is your conviction? This becomes important because this is what we hold on to. It's very easy to get swayed by the things of the world. But what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about God and how he can help us and uh, take us through a situation is absolutely crucial. Because if we get this thing right here, just think how many other people's lives could be impacted as a result of what God is doing in us and through us. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying to people, you know, what? I've struggled in this journey. I don't always understand what God is doing. But one thing that I do know is that he is faithful and he has never, ever let me down. Learn to imitate those who are stronger than you in the Lord. And Paul writes, he says, what you've seen and what you've heard, he says, at least follow my example. Learn from those that are around you and don't be so proud 
and self-righteous that you don't think you can learn from someone else yet. I find it incredibly sad when I, when I think particularly the more mature Christians as we journey, we think we can't learn from the younger people that have got saved. Actually, to be honest with you, I in some cases would rather be able to get back to that place of being like some of the younger Christians because we don't complicate the Christian walk that we have. There's a zeal, there's an excitement of the things of God. And often we go, oh, those guys still haven't, uh, you know, they haven't learned anything yet. And, and what, are the, what do they know? I want to say, you don't live like that. Rather live in a space of saying, Lord, I wish I could catch a little bit of that because actually uh, I want to be a, a Christian that is excited. Because I, I find it very challenging when, it, when somebody says, I love Jesus and I'm so excited about him. And I love him, and he's, he excites me. And we sing, you know, this. there will be a day when the saints cry out that he is my God, and he's so exciting. It's like when the stormers go and score a try. I'm like so excited. I'm a very avid stormer support, and they score a try. I'm like really so excited. You look it, buddy. The problem is, if you live like that, that's what people see. That's what they imitate. We need to look at our lives honestly and ask ourselves genuinely, how excited are we about the things of God? And what people see, do they catch it? That's why I asked you, can your children stand with you? I'm not responsible to raise your children in the things of God. You are. They need to learn from you how you worship the Lord and why God is important. It comes from the parents, not from the church. But collectively, we help each other in this thing. And I land with this. The importance this morning is about application. You need to apply what you've heard here. If I sum it up for you very simply, you know, we need to realize the importance of the church, one another, the joy and the crown that we have amongst ourselves here, that we need to stand firm. We need to guard our relationships. We need to rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle towards each other. Don't be anxious. And if you are, let's pray. Let's Bring our stuff to the Lord and let's thank Him for who He is. Learn to do that. Then the peace of God will come and reign in your life. And then we need to guard our hearts. We need to think big thoughts about the God that we serve. Is He who He says He is? Do we really believe that? And then learn to imitate those that are around you. At least start to apply what you see Paul writing and learn from others around you. Learn from each other. And then very importantly, apply what you have heard today. With that, I want to put this out to the church this morning. I will send out an Excel thing to the common group leaders. And I'm going to ask you, because there's already a plan for Wednesday night at common groups, but what I want to ask you, would you take that which I'm going to send to you, and I want to do an exercise over this week, every day. I want you to go back to that Excel thing. I'm going to put this out for us in Excel format. And I'm going to ask you, let's do an exercise together. And I'm in with you on this one. And let's go and apply what we've heard today. And I'm going to ask you from tonight right through until Saturday evening, maybe even Sunday morning, let's apply. And then I'm going to ask you, if God has come through for you in a certain way, would you please come and bring your testimony next Sunday morning? Let's take this word and let's apply it. Are we okay with that? All right. Let's just bow our heads. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that as we go from this place, that we apply the scripture to our lives. And I'm going to ask, Lord, that you would do a deep, deep work in each and every single one of us. Father, we thank you for these moments. 
Thank you that we can gather like this and have you build into our lives. I pray as we go away from this place today that, Lord, you'd allow us as a church to impact people in our areas of influence, be it in the schools, be it adversities, be it in the workplace, in the sports field, whatever um, it, it, it is. I want to ask, Lord, that you would do something quite significant in each one of us that we would be able to impact people this week. And then, Lord, as we go through this scripture this week, I want to ask, Lord, just for a favor, would you do something special that we could have testimonies here next week of people just coming and saying, you know, I've got a model of how to handle things in difficult situations, and this is what God did. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would reveal yourself through the scriptures, uh, in the scriptures and through the scriptures, and, Lord, that you would come through for your people. We thank you for this. And all of God's people said, amen. Bless you guys. Let's go and have tea and coffee.